0: I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Very seldom... I get to sit down with somebody I consider to be a bit of a renaissance man, and he certainly is. Randy Bryant is president and CEO of 10 Chimneys Foundation, and he also is a bit of a visionary when it comes to architecture, and we're going to talk about all of that today with Randy Bryant. And Randy, you have had an amazing life. How did it all begin for you?
0: Oh, God. Well, it began as a young, curious Boy, growing up in the city of Milwaukee, always had a passion for history, architecture, the founding fathers, and just that curious little kid. And loved museums from early on. At the age of nine, I walked from my home on the north side over to the Charles Ellis Art Museum. And just so curious. And when I went there, they told me that you had to have a dollar to enter. So I had to go back home and I raised the money. And when I say raised the money, I raised the money and How'd you came do back. That? I did chores. I had just saved seventeen dollars and I actually went down to the Marine Bank to open up a bank account. And they thought it was so cute this little kids in there to open a bank account. I had my piggy bank and everything. <laughs> they said, and what are you gonna do? And I said, Well I'll make deposits every week. Where do you get the money? From my allowance and it was so cute. They had called my mom And that actually set up an account in her name. But I'm thinking it's my account. So I'm going down there all the time making my deposits and stuff. But anyway, getting back to the Charles Alice. So I go in and I have the dollar. And then I'm just so amazed at the materials that were used in order to make it and the intentions of the owners to leave it to Milwaukee County. And so I learned everything about it. And the next thing you know, I was giving tours because I was just impressed by the hand-tooled leather wallpaper that was there and black walnut millwork that I was just in awe with. So them.
1: you were a bit of a docent.
0: I actually helped the docents out early on, and they just thought I was so cute because I knew. How old were I have to you, tell you at the time? By that time, I was like 10. But I had learned so much that some of the docents would come back to me and they would ask me, hey, what is this, what is that? And they did not have docents leading the tours. People just walked in, just walked around and everything. And I started telling people about, hey, well, this is this, and this and this, and you love this, and this came from Japan, and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah.
1: And from that point, I mean, obviously you were a curious child, and I assume a very good student. Yes. Because you went into business and you really... Excelled at business, and I'm thinking maybe this had something to do with the fact that there you were opening a bank account when you were (laughs) knee high.
0: (laughs) Not quite. Actually, it was, I was really fortunate because I had some of the best training within the business world, and I think the old school way of learning um, was great because you know you really went through all the different phases. And I went through the old administrative trainee program where you start out in this area and you go to that area. And then you worked your way throughout the company in just a trainee position. And then you were placed. But that helped me because when they needed someone to go abroad, I was the one that was selected.
1: Yeah. And And you went everywhere.
0: I traveled the world. Yes. Here's an interesting story because I was working at Allstate Insurance Company at their corporate headquarters in Northbrook. And I had put on a seminar on how Fortune 500 companies could better synergize their efforts and invited 30 companies with Motorola being one of them. And at the end of the seminar, one of the officers for Motorola came and approached me and offered me a job. I was so happy with being at Allstate, promoted every year, doing very well. So I wasn't interested at the time. And then they enticed me with all the international travel and all that. And they made me this offer that I could not refuse.
1: <laughs> I and, think I've heard that line before. <laughs> yeah, I
0: could not refuse. And so I basically, I left Austin. Everyone was shocked because I was really just doing well there. And I was really like part of the building. And You were
1: on the fast track. Uh,
0: I was on the fast track, absolutely. And um, the... But then when I went on to Motorola, the first place they sent me to was Eastern Europe. And it was interesting being in a country where you didn't know the language and negotiating deals. And the first deal we were working on was in Poland, where they had a partner. And I had to inform them that you have the wrong partner and they needed to divest and no one wanted to hear that they needed to divest because they were all excited about this joint venture and i finally able to convince our chairman at the time that we needed to divest and good thing that we did because the partner was brought up on charges just a month later
1: how did you know that was it just a gut feeling
0: it was that, but then I was always very investigative and always just looking at and doing things. And, and I read, but it was a gut feeling as well. I mean, he was just too slippery for me. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? So how did you enjoy travel when you were, what, in Eastern Europe? You yeah,
0: were... Spain, England, all South America, Singapore. I love travel. I love people. I love culture. I love architecture. It all fed all of my passions. And it just really worked for me because the more curious I was, the more I enjoyed where I was. So I can honestly say I've never worked a job and never had a career where I did not like it. And I feel bad for people that are in the careers and positions that they are just unhappy with because even today I go to work happy every day. I love what I do. But early on, I mean, just imagine here you are in a country, you know no one and you don't speak the language and yet you have to get around. And I was able to do that and had friends. We didn't speak the language. You know, we were able to get around. I never forget when I was in Brazil and I had to go, we had to buy carpeting for the office because we had to build out everything. And I remember being in the carpet store And explaining to them, I need to buy carpet, and I'm patting on the floor, and they bring the samples to me, and we're communicating without any language. And yet, got everything done. It was just amazing.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations...
0: The bathroom. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I have to say this.
1: World traveler Randy Bryant tells us what he looks for when he goes to a new city.
0: You're listening to WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Randy Bryant. He not only is the president of the Foundation for 10 Chimneys, he also has a tremendous interest in architecture. When you would go to a new city or a new country, what was the first thing you'd look for?
0: The bathroom. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have to say this, the international binder for all of us is food, you know, and so I would go, I would find out where the locals would go for food and find out what was represented that culture. And that's what I, that's where I would go and just engage in that. And then you meet people. I remember going to a wedding. I'm in the country. I never met these people before, but we just bonded and found out that the guy was going to be getting married the next day. And he invited me to his wedding. Oh. So I go to the wedding. and having a great time. And uh, he's, uh, he's introduced me around. And everyone says, well, how long have you known? I said, well, I met him yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: so it, was, it was really experiencing the culture and the people.
0: The culture and people, it's always. Uh, and that's the one thing that I, I can say that um, I feel truly blessed is that I have an appreciation for culture and, uh, and I have to say that living outside the United States helped me understand our culture. Before, I really could not articulate what is the American culture. Um, but
1: What did you learn?
0: Well, you know, I learned that we're a country of people that we're workers. We work very hard. We have an appreciation for life, but not many of us really are focused On life and so we're basically existing in life and that's our reputation around the world that we're really not enjoying life or really having the full appreciation for life we're a melting pot we're a place of richness we're bountiful and that we love having plenty
1: are we spoiled as Americans
0: Um, I would say the rest of the world would say we're spoiled (laughs) (laughs) yes
1: you have done so much here in the city as far as restoration of buildings and I would imagine that living abroad and especially in in Europe which had so much history and so much architecture is that what sort of spurred your interest in taking old buildings and Uh restoring them?
0: Actually before then I always had an appreciation for the architecture and the building materials because a lot of the building materials you know I'm just so amazed when you think back that they didn't have the tools that we have today and yet they were able to build these wonderful buildings. And when you look at our city, our city is a city of immigrants. The immigrants built this city. So when you look at the Italian marbles, and one place I always love talking about is it, the Milwaukee County Historical Society, because there, when you look at these scaggly old columns that are there, and you have all the various immigrants that were there at the time that built that building, and yet it's one that is just to be marveled today. I consider it to be one of the crown jewels of the county. So I've always was amazed with the architecture, just the various different styles and the styles that represent what was going on at that time. So I can look at a building and I can tell you when it was built, whether it was built in the 1900s or in the late 1800s or built in the 70s or 60s or whatever. I can tell you just by looking at it, I know and understand the style what was present at the time was going on within the cultural setting
1: what is it about taking an old building for you
0: have you ever gone out and you've seen old women go out to lunch they get all dressed up and they look just fabulous well that's how i see these old buildings giving just new life to them and so i'm a big believer in adaptive reuse and if you think of adaptive reuse this facility that we're in today this is the perfect adaptive reuse when you look at what it was before. You're talking about
1: the avenue. Yes, yeah.
0: what it was before versus what it is today. And it's gone through several different revolutions in getting there. So adaptive reuse of the older buildings is what really I'm attracted to because that soul that is presented, that character that you get in the older building, it's hard to get in a new building. In many older buildings, they can be empty and you can walk around to see just the glory of those buildings, so.
1: What is one of the most challenging projects you've taken on architecturally as far as some of the buildings that you've worked on in Milwaukee?
0: In the United States, okay, yeah. in Milwaukee. I would say the Historical Society that renovation was one because unfortunately there was a prior renovation that took place and was not architecturally sensitive nor was it done correctly. And so it caused the spalding and the breaking off of the Indiana Bedford limestone that was there on the cornice. And so we had to take it off, redo it, which was expensive. And then the, the correct way of doing it was very expensive, but it would allow for a much longer life of the building.
1: When you look at a building, and like you said, you can tell when mm-hmm. was it built? And yeah. Probably you could even in some ways determine who was behind mm-hmm. that original construction. Do you try to duplicate it as close as possible or do you make improvements and changes just because maybe it yes. could have been done better then?
0: Right. So here's the thing. It has to be architecturally appropriate, but in many ways you cannot duplicate and make it look exact today so basically that's why it's best for it to be appropriate so for example if you're putting an addition onto a historic building you want it appropriate but it doesn't it should be a building of its time so that addition should be of its time.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations.
0: She kept saying why can't you just go to the store and just buy this <laughs> and just have it in there it could be done in two days you have to wait six months.
1: Ten Chimneys Foundation President Brandy Bryant talks about the challenges of doing a major renovation.
0: Now, more of WTMJ Conversations.
1: I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Randy Bryant. He's the president and CEO of 10 Chimneys. When you decided to, and I'm going to bring this up because it's rather well known here in the city, Uh-oh. that you and your wife, Cecilia Gore, who we've had on this show, took on a major restoration for your own home. With that particular project, how personal was it for you?
0: Well, it was very personal because the house had been divided into two families. If you understand the history of the house and understand the architects that were involved, you can have an appreciation why myself as an architecture historian and the preservationist, why I would want to take on the house. The house was designed by Ferry and Kloss, one of my favorite architectural teams that designed the library, the Paps Mansion, and some of the really great buildings here. But the interesting thing is that Alexander Eschweiler, who was also one of their contemporaries, decided to make that his home. So he bought a home of one of his rivals to live in. And this was the last home he lived in in Milwaukee prior to his death. So I wanted to make sure that the restoration was a sensitive restoration and to be done correctly. So it was painstaking in restoring it back because I could have bought an existing house for half the amount of money than what it cost to restore it. But it gave me great pleasure to bring the house back to a single family and one story i can tell you is that When I married Cecilia, the entryway, we didn't have the floor in. And I had just ordered an encaustic tile from this Belgian monastery to be put in. And she kept saying, why can't you just go to the store and just buy this and just have it in there? It could be done in two days. I have to wait six months. And that was it. So I brought her around because I have to say in the beginning, she was not there with me. But she loves it just as much as I do today.
1: When you take on a house like that, obviously, kitchen bathroom yes you don't want what they had then
0: well that's but, you guys not me <laughs> i i would love to have i love the old bathrooms really? i i do now my wife's a different story okay and she's like no you're going to put in this but i always do a great kitchen because you have to remember kitchens were just functional they were not for aesthetic they were not the gathering places this is basically where the help worked And so you didn't spend time in the kitchen. So I always do a phenomenal kitchen one of its time.
1: So you do incorporate the old with the new. Oh,
0: yes, absolutely. I think that you have to make sure that you're able to live and enjoy the house. And you have to give the house more life. Because, again, people don't live today as they lived back then. And so you don't want to limit yourself in terms of how you're going to live in the house. But yet you want to be sensitive to the architecture of the home
1: have to talk to you about 10 chimneys because you have been president and ceo of the 10 chimneys foundation mm-hmm. for a few years now how did that all come about for you
0: So I was living in Brazil at the time, and I had made it known that I was going to be repatriating back to the United States. And my neighbor, who was the chairman of the board of 10 Chimneys at the time, asked me to come out and just see what they were doing there. And this is before it was restored or anything. And I decided to go out there. We had dinner in the dining room. We had our pre-dinner conversation in the study And it was really just wonderful, but it was tattered. You could see that nothing had been done. Lynn had died 12 years prior.
1: We're talking about Lynn Fontan.
0: Lynn Fontan, yes. Her brother-in-law, who took over the place, basically just locked things up and just left it as it was, but it needed restoration. And so I was so excited that this was going to take place. Unfortunately, or fortunately, our partners in Argentina said that if Randy leaves we're going to pull out. So, Motorola negotiated with me to stay another year. So, then I joined the board after that, and it was the best board I had ever been on. I would say still today, it's the best board. Everyone was deeply committed. So, I had termed off after being on for like nine years or 12 years. And during the interim year, the president at the time announced he was leaving, so they had a search, they had a failed search, and I was actually out at the Marcus Center for an event, and the chair at the time said, hey, Randy, she said, if you know of anyone that's interested, and we both knew that (laughs) this was me, because I always thought it was a great gig. I mean, just the idea of restoring and maintaining a historic structure that was so important to not only American theater, but important to Wisconsin life at the time was just great for me. And then being able to do the interpretation in terms of what would be there.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations.
0: You want people to be able to enjoy and engage and not being able to have sidebar conversations.
1: Randy Bryant from Ten Chimneys reveals what the month said were the perfect number of guests for dinner.
0: You're listening to WTMJ Conversations.
1: And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Randy Bryant. He is the foundation president and CEO of 10 Chimneys. What drew Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontan to Wisconsin?
0: So Alfred was born in Milwaukee. His father was a lumber baron and they would actually vacation out in Genesee Depot His father died when he was a young boy, and when he came to his inheritance, he bought three acres out in Genesee Depot, and then it eventually grew to 106 acres. When he married Lynn in 1922, he brought her out, and she fell in love with the place, and that's where they decided to have their life, and they expanded the house that he had built for his mom, and then it became 10 chimneys. They actually named it the farm first. And then once they retired, they named it 10 chimneys, because after building all the additions on, it had 10 chimneys.
1: So who were some of the people who visited when it was really the place to come?
0: So it was the place for actors, anyone that was involved in theater, literature. So Helen Hayes was spending her summers there, Catherine Hepburn, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Benson Price, Montgomery Cliff. I mean, really all the great actors of their time. And they had very close relationships with Winston Churchill, the Queen Mum. But Noah Coward was their close friend, and he was there all the time. So it really was that place for artistic expression and inspiration.
1: What was the energy like back then? It
0: was great energy. First of all, you have to remember, it was the first L-shaped in-ground pool in the state of Wisconsin put in in 1933. So, you know, back then, people did not swim in swimming pools. They swam in rivers and lakes. And so it was really something. You had everybody, and anybody coming out, hanging out the pool, I mean, really just enjoying the best of this gentleman's farm that was there. But it was a journey. It basically took a day to get out there. So it wasn't as—so when you came out there— you stayed for a period of time. It wasn't as if like, like today where you can drive out there in 35 minutes from Milwaukee and drive back. So they really treated you like royalty. No one was ever forced to get up at any time. Whatever time you woke up, that was it. But you arranged for whatever your breakfast would be the day before, and they would have it ready for you when you woke up. Dinners were formal dinners. You dress for dinner and, and you were prepared. You had conversation. It wasn't just sitting there and eating. The meals were planned by Alfred and everything's fully plated. You ate on silver. It was George Jensen's silverware. Acorn pattern. You dined on the China and you were guests. So you were treated like royalty.
1: And I would imagine conversation was encouraged.
0: Conversation was encouraged, but Lynn said the perfect number of guests for dinner is eight. Why? You didn't want to go beyond eight because hard to control the conversation you want people to be able to enjoy and engage and not being able to have sidebar conversations and I believe that I think it really is a good number if you want to have guests that are interesting and really not have the conversations going everywhere when you get 10 people or 12 people at a dinner table that's no longer an intimate dinner
1: coming up on WTMJ conversations
0: you take a bucket of ice water and you put your face in the ice water And then you wipe your face, apply the makeup, everything is tight.
1: Randy Bryant from 10 Chimneys talks about Lynn Fontaine's non-surgical technique for a facelift.
0: You're listening to WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome back to our conversation with Randy Bryant. He's the foundation president and CEO of 10 Chimneys in Genesee Depot. I want to talk a little bit about what 10 Chimneys is now. So many people visit it because it's known as the estate where Alfred Lund and Lynn Fontaine live. But what is it now? What is it that Ten Chimneys does, other than being a destination to visit?
0: Sure, sure. Well, before I get into that, I do want to share with you that Ten Chimneys is ground zero for American theater. This is basically where the methods of acting were honed. And the way you see acting today, it was done early on by, perfected by Lynn and Alford. In the past, people would not talk over each other. They would basically, you would say one thing, I wait till you finish, and then I would speak. And Lynn and Alford learned the techniques of talking over one another, but yet making sure every word is understood and emphasized. Turning your back on an audience was something that one would never do. And that's one that Lynn and Alford were to do very well but also because they were married, they were able to get away with a lot more than others could. So if you think back, going back into the 30s, 40s, 50s, touch of any kind was just oh, appalled by an audience. And yet they were able to get away with a lot more. So people enjoyed going to visit them. And, and because they had such a close connection with the public, they visited small towns. They acted all over so, people really knew them. They were really, if you think of your big stars today, whether it's television or film, it was them. And you have to think of the heyday of Ten Chimneys. So, if you think back in the early days, the early part of the heyday being during the Depression, Ten Chimneys represented escapism for people because you're escaping those times, the war that took place. Linda Alfred did a lot in the war efforts. They spent time over in the U.K. helping out and spent time with our troops. But in addition to that, they really helped move the nation when it came down to creating new work within theater. Outside of just the Shakespeare, most of their work was new work. And a lot of people don't know. Many of them think that even though they were the highest paid actors at the time, the money they made was actually made in developing new work. So one of them was Oklahoma. They invested in Oklahoma early on and as you know that went on and became huge and and a lot of the plays within theater became that way. But today what is Tin Chimneys? Tin Chimneys is that place of gentility. It is that place where you can go and see just how things were back in the 30s through the 60s because it's basically exactly as they left it. So when you walk into Tin Chimneys you feel as if The Lunts are just out on a walk or on a stroll because everything that belongs to them is still there. So their underwear, their mouthwash, all the furnishings, it's all theirs. You still see the clothes on the line. The telephone directory that has all their friends listed, Carol Channing's numbers right there. And so you really feel as if, wow, I'm in their home, I'm an invited guest in the home of Ten Chimneys, in the home of the Lunts. But you have that, but then you also have what they represent, because it doesn't matter that you or I never knew the Lunts, but we never knew Abraham Lincoln, but we know what he represented. And that's what Ten Chimneys all about. So Alfred was a trained Quarton Blues chef, so we have the wine pairing So we bring in the sommelier and head chef from the French Laundry, which is considered to be the best restaurant in the United States and uh, the best French restaurant outside of Paris. And so he does wine pairings there and tastings. We have summer suppers. But basically, it's all about anything that's related to the art of living, living your best life. So if you remember, and this is where it comes full circle, where I said many people exist and they don't really live life. Well, 10 Chimneys is all about living your best life. And so the programs that are put on there are really those that allow for you to live your best life. We have the museum store which is a great store where you can come in and buy those articles that would help you feel good about yourself. Even we have the pet dogs or cats that actually breathe. So we have those things, but also...
1: Wait a minute, you said pet dogs or cats that actually breathe? Are, are these are yes. stuffed animals?
0: Well, they're, they're stuffed, yes. I'm not going to tell you the mechanism that allows for it to take place, but you see them breathing. So you have to come out to 10 chimneys to see. I'm going exactly. to have
1: to see that. <laughs>
0: exactly. But in addition to that, Lynn was a seamstress, but she was also dressed by the, the best designers. And so she was considered to be the fontan of youth. She was dressed, whether it was Chanel or Molinex or any of those, she looked fabulous. And she had her way of giving herself a facelift that was last long enough to take your photograph. And you, you're looking and saying, well, how is she giving herself a facelift? Well, yeah, she, please,
1: I want the secret. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> most people. Do. First of all, let me tell you this. Before you get the facelift, your best smile is on the downward side. So if you go, <gasps> on the downward side, that's when you have the full smile. Secondly, Lynn's facelift routine was that prior to getting ready, you take your head, you lay down on your bed, on your back, and you let your head hang over the bed.
1: I have to say, you are doing this right now. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> let your head hang over the bed, and then all the brushes rushes there. You go and you take a bucket of ice water and you put your face in the ice water. And then you wipe your face, apply the makeup. Everything is tight, long enough for you to take those photographs with no wrinkles.
1: Okay, where's that bucket ice? <laughs> Coming up on WTMJ Conversations.
0: He's a director. He's been nominated for eight Tony Awards, winning four. Just a wonderful person we're so excited to have. Him. He's truly iconic.
1: Randy Bryant from 10 Chimneys talks about some of the acting greats of today who come to Genesee Depot.
0: Now, more of WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Randy Bryant from 10 Chimneys. Now, of course, the energy is still there, especially during your Artists in Residence program. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, we're very proud of this program. It is called the L'Enfantan Fellowship Program, and it's the preeminent program for actors with a minimum of 20 years of acting experience. We have our uh, partner theaters around the country, and they're all your major theaters, so whether it's the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis or the Manhattan Theater Club in New York or the Lincoln Center in New York or any of those major theaters, there are partner theaters with us and there's I think there's a total of eighty four. And they nominate up to three actors from each theater. And we only select ten each year that are considered to be the top actors for their regions. But also mentors within the regions. And then we select them and then they're brought on board and they work under the tutelage of a master teacher. Now my ma- master teacher is always iconic and typically they have thirty plus years of experience. So in the past it's been Olympia Dukakis, Lynn Redgrave, David High Pierce, Alan Alda, Felicia Rashad, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Tyne Daly, and this year it's Jerry Zachs. And Jerry Zaks, you may not know the name. He's a director. He's been nominated for eight Tony Awards, winning four. He directed Bette Midler and David High Pierce and Hello Dolly, directed Hugh Jackman in The Music Man, and also directed Mrs. Dollfire on Broadway. But he's done a lot of acting himself, as well as directing many, many, many shows. But just a wonderful person. We're so excited to have him. He's truly iconic.
1: It truly brings the idea of artists together. Yes. Creating.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's what we love about it because, you know, Ten Chimneys, we workshop a lot of plays. We bring the playwrights, the actors, directors, bring them all together to create new work. One of the works that we worked on was Pearls in the House the Story of Pearl Bailey. So we workshopped that at Ten Chimneys, and that's going on. And we're going to be working on one of, um, well, can't tell you that one, so i oh. on. <laughs> But it's going to be great. And you just pay attention because it's really one of the great works. It's an African American, I can tell you that. And we're going to be working on their play. It's never been produced before.
1: What do you find most rewarding of being involved with Ten Chimneys?
0: Wow. There are several things, so it's hard to say just one. But I would have to say that I truly love that we are showing a great level of appreciation for the arts and all that's created from the arts. And being able to expose that to people and share that with the sharing. That's really it. The sharing of the estate, the sharing of ideas, the sharing of the creation, but sharing of the art itself
1: have to ask you this you've never been an actor
0: no you've never
1: been an architect no but you have experienced so much of this without that professional training
0: Uh.
1: (laughs) how did you do I mean what was the process for you and I guess looking back at your life Mm -hmm. what have you enjoyed most
0: you know I will say this in all candor I enjoy passion and I enjoy passionate people. And I would say that if you find someone that has no passions at all, run the other way. Because I have not found anyone that doesn't have any passions to be someone I really want to spend a lot of time with. <laughs> you got to be passionate about something. Just
1: in talking to you, you have so many experiences. Mm-hmm. You have such an appreciation for the past. Mm-hmm. got to ask you this. Do you think you ever lived in a past life?
0: (laughs) It's too funny. I feel that I'm able to go into the past in in, in my present life. So I don't know if I've ever lived. I can tell you this. There are times when I would have loved to experience that moment at that time. But I love the life that we're living today. I love today and being able to experience what took place back then. So I don't need to live the life back then. I love experiencing that life living in today.
1: Randy Bryant, thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, Well, thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: We've been talking with Randy Bryant, the president and CEO of 10 Chimneys. We found out why 10 Chimneys has such an interesting past and what it has meant to the American theater. But Randy himself has had an interesting life. We learned how, as a little kid, he was giving tours at the museum right here in Milwaukee and how his interest in architecture and reviving the past has become a passion in refurbishing homes around Milwaukee. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear our entire conversation with Randy, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.